Hey guys, it's Matilda Pearl. We've lost too many lives on our roads this year through risks that weren't worth taking. So I've teamed up with the TAC and other artists to use live music as a way of highlighting that life without your mates is as quiet as music without a band. So take extra care out there and let's keep the band together. Over the years, we got to spend some really wonderful times with Gudinski, and every one of them seemed like a celebration. It could have been a backstage, it could have been a hotel lobby, it could have been a restaurant. But every experience we ever had with Gudinski was a celebration. It was Michael Gudinski's dream to create Always Live, to promote music right across Victoria, the state of music. MG was working on the initiative when he unexpectedly and sadly died in March 2021. A year later, almost to the day, the music legend's dream became a reality when one of the biggest bands in the world did a one-off show in Geelong. In this episode of Always Live, we're telling the incredible story of how Foo Fighters became the first international band to play a stadium show in Australia after COVID-19. This was like an event, you know. This was an event. This is like one of the biggest rock bands in the world in a regional town. We're going to talk to the promoter, as well as the guy who broke the story. Well, the Foo Fighters weren't happy with me because there was a rumour that came through on the 3AW rumour file about Foo Fighters coming to Melbourne doing a surprise show. That was it, full stop. So I did some calls on the day, rang people who I thought might be involved in it, kind of went nowhere, hit a few dead ends, and then got on to a few contacts who did have some details about it. And it was more than Foo Fighters coming to Melbourne doing a show. It was Foo Fighters doing a show in Geelong for this new concept called Always Live. Geelong is a city with a great rock and roll history. G-Town was Chrissy Amphlett's hometown. The Divinals legend went to Belmont High with Dennis Walter who also went on to a singing career before becoming a radio host on 3AW. Another old Belmont High student was the subject of Paul Kelly's very first hit. Paul sang, I want to be like Billy Baxter. Billy later had his own great band, The Hollow Men, and he's now a member of the Coulda Been Champions. But that's not all that Geelong has given the music world. Mick Thomas from Weddings Parties Anything started his career in Geelong and the home of the Cats, gave us Goanna. Shane Howard started the Goanna Band in Geelong in 1977 and they played their first big gig at the Eureka Hotel. And then there's this woman. Hey, it's Adelita here and I am the lead singer and guitarist in Magic Dirt. We can't tell the story of Adelita and Magic Dirt without mentioning the great Geelong venue, the Barwon Club. That, that was it. That was my first entry into punk rock and it was there. So the Bowen Club is very famous. It's like an old biker's pub and it's sort of the punk rock epicentre of Geelong from I think like the sort of seven, maybe like early 80s or something like that till now. It's still running and it still is an amazing place. But back in the 90s when I, I reckon it would have been probably 1990 or 1989 when I first went there. Adelita the nerd 
was transformed into Adelita the Punk Queen, live on stage at the Barwon Club. So I was a real nerd, very sort of nerdy and a bit sort of straight and a bit naive and young and whatever, and then went to the Barwon Club um, with some mates who kind of knew about the place and was just like, oh, this place is awesome. There was like bands playing every night. Lots of young bands, people my age, you know, starting little punk rock bands and indie bands and all sorts of genres, um, but mostly sort of punk rock. And I remember going there. I just have a memory of me. I was wearing, I came from uni, I was wearing my green Cardi, like a like an op shop green cardi and I had my specs on and I'd just come from, I don't know, drama class or psychology class or something like that and um, just went there with my boyfriend at the time and watched a local band and we were standing in the crowd and I, I was right up the front just sort of like and I started to sort of headbang a bit and um, we knew the people in the band and one of the, I think the guitarist in the band said, oh, hey, Ads, do you want to get up on stage and sing a song with us? And I was like, okay. And I was petrified, but I was like, something in me was like, just get up and do the song. And the song was like, it was called Basil and it was about one of their dogs. And it only had that lyric in it, Basil, so there wasn't much to remember. So in the court, when the chorus came up, I was so nervous that I sort of did the Elvis thing where my body was just shaking and I didn't know what to do. It was just pure survival. I was like, what am I going to do? And my reptilian brain was just like, just scream Basil really loud and flail on the floor. And that's what I did. And from then on, everyone was like, who's that Adelita? She was awesome. And, you know, punk rock was born in me. Adelita's band was born at the Barwon Club in 1991. They were known as Deer Bubbles, but they then had a few other names, including the Jim Jims, before settling on Magic Dirt. So I think when Magic Dirt first started to realise we had a bit of a buzz around us, we were playing again at the Bowen Club. I mean, a lot of stuff happened at the Bowen Club for Magic Dirt. We started at the Bowen Club as a three-piece without a drummer, and then when we found our drummer, we st- we did shows there. We didn't really play anywhere else when we first started. It was pretty much the Bowen Club or house parties or skate park or something like that. But, um, yeah, the Bowen Club was the main place. I mean... I have memories of going to Melbourne soon after to places like the Evelyn, which is still around. And of course, the Punters Club, which is still there, but not as the Punters Club. Very, very iconic, famous venue in Melbourne. But the Barn Club, I just remember the momentum started to build, like more and more people would come to our shows and and people started to say, you know, who's that Magic Dirt band? And you've got to go see that Magic Dirt band. And it, and it all happened at the Barn Club, pretty much. You know, word got around. And we were kind of like, you know, the most talked about band in Geelong, in the town, and then in Melbourne. So, and really the Barn Club is such a special and important place for us because really, it really all happened there. Magic Dirt were the most successful band to emerge from Geelong's indie scene. But there were plenty of other great bands, including Bored, Warped, The Dirty Lovers, Seaweed Gorillas, and The Poppin' Mamas. Magic Dirt were one of those acts that inspired people to start their own bands or get involved in the music industry, like band booker Sean Adams. First real live band that I remember seeing was Magic Dirt and I had been a fan for a, a little bit, but I'd never seen them in a small pub or or anything like that. And, um, and I was actually in Geelong that I saw them and, um, and I just remember it just kind of, 
being so blown away, like, you know, just having purchased a couple of the records and, but just the sound of in a small room and the energy that that created. And that energy was incredible. And it was like, it was probably that moment also where you kind of go, I really want to be involved in this. I want to be a cog in part of this gig world, you know, or doing things and creating moments like that. You know, you can just kind of pinpoint, go, ah, that gig was one where I go, I want to be in it, you know, and I want to find my path, whatever that path will be. So, yeah, so that would be probably my first gig that kind of probably changed the course of where I'm at right now. Bruce Milne is the guy who signed Magic Dirt when he was the owner of Orgogo Records and Bruce still loves going to the Barwon Club. I mean, the Barwon Club is still going strong as a music venue and I was down there uh, just a few weeks ago doing some um, music history tours of Geelong. In the main front bar, right above the main part of the bar, they've got a portrait of John Nolan, a portrait of Tim Hemmonsley and a portrait of Dave Thomas. And it's it's just great to walk in, and, and plus they've got a lot of posters on you know on the walls of gigs, and you you just forget how many years and how many gigs have gone on at the Barwon Club, and uh, and it's still it's it's lucky because it's still in that odd position where it's in a slightly industrial near the river near the footy ground. It doesn't have unlike the Toad, it doesn't have sort of apartments going up around it all the time, and uh, so it can have some you know loud greasy rock and roll um, uh, until the year dot. Yep, more power to the Barwon Club. It's also a favourite of Melbourne band British India. Here's drummer Matty O'Gorman. I think for a while there in Geelong, there wasn't really a place to play. I think there were a lot of venues like the Nash and the Wool Shed that used to be kind of big spots for bands. And then the Barwon Club popped up and it's just that perfect size room. It's not too big. It's not too small. It always sounds great. The mood is always really good. Um, you can hang out in the front bar beforehand a really good publican, like that makes, you know, as soon as you get out to the country, it's all about the publican, you know, and they just kind of set the tone and set the vibe. And that's why bands want to keep going back. And that's why it's become like such a big gig, you know, because it's an hour, it's an hour out of town, but, you know, those people don't want to travel to the city. So, you know, to be able to go to Geelong and play shows like that that are always really consistent is, is a lot of fun. Just 20 Ks out of Geelong, you'll find the Torquay Hotel, another very cool venue. There's something special about doing a gig on the surf coast. And it's another fave of Matty O'Gorman. Love the Torquay. Another classic example. You get they, they put you up at the motel next door. So you get down there a day early, you have a swim, you play the gig, and then you drive back the next day. It's a lot of fun. And Oscar Dawson is also wrapped whenever his band, Holy Holy, is booked to play there. Growing up, I'd always go down that way to like hang out and you know, have New Year's or, or something. I feel like when I arrive in Torquay or um, or Lawn for that matter or, uh, you know, those kind of surf coast places, I just feel like, ah, oh, this is great. Luke Heinsohn books the bands at the Torquay Hotel and he's a pretty incredible story himself. Get this, when his best mate, Joel Taylor, took over the pub, he asked Luke if he'd book the bands. Only thing is, Luke was a maths teacher not a band booker. I'm a teacher, a local teacher. I taught in the town. And when my friend said, oh, do, you want to, do you want to help me doing this? I said, I don't know how to book bands. And he said, you'll figure it out. It can't be that hard. And so I went in my lunch break at school. I went out to the car park 
and I looked up how to book bands and it directed me to you need you need to contact a booking agent. So I literally typed in Booking Agents Australia and I called the first one on the list, cold called, and I said, Hi, my name's Luke and this is what I'm trying to do. And luckily he was a uh, this particular person was really kind to me and um, and he said, hey, it sounds like you've got a great thing and, and I'll show you the ropes. And so we went from there. The Torquay Hotel is now doing more than 100 shows a year, reminding the locals of the glory days of the early 80s when bands such as Aussie Crawl would pack the place. When Joel first bought the pub, we were sitting around listening to some older people the pub wasn't doing much at the time in terms of contemporary music. We were listening around, you know, and I was, they were telling these older people, were telling us, oh, we once saw Australian Crawl here. It was crazy. You should have seen this. This happened. This was back in the 80s. And we thought, why can't we do that now? Why can't we help people to create memories? And we have that responsibility now. So that was our intention from the start, so that one day people would be saying, oh, my goodness, did you see whoever it is at the at the Torquay Hotel that time. Yeah, that's what we do. Luke, Joel and the crew at the Torquay Hotel are creating their own memories. Like the time when Luke booked the Cosmic Psychos, Cash Savage and Bad Dreams. We booked this great bill and then we realised, right, where are we going to put these bands? And we thought, oh, that's cool, we'll just put them outside. The council got wind of it and the guy came down and he said, hey, what do you think you're doing? There is no way that the Cosmic Psychos are playing outside. You're a hotel right in the middle of town. This is not going to happen. At that time, we didn't have a band room. So what we did is we took out all the furniture of the restaurant and we put a marquee outside. The restaurant went outside under a giant marquee. I'm talking about 300 diners there for the weekends so we could run this rock and roll show inside. We didn't really know what the capacity of the room was and we oversold it. And when people started coming in, it was scary. We were like, oh, my goodness. Um, there were people uh, hanging from the roof, hanging from the rafters, people doing anything they could to see the show. And uh, it really was a nod to the past, to those crazy shows that we used to hear about, you know, back in the day where anything goes. Um, it cost a fortune, but it was a wild success. The Torquay Hotel actually has a great old school band room. We're not the Forum, the Torquay Hotel is not a big, beautiful, we're not the Northcote Theatre or any of these fantastic. What we are is a really uh, unique coastal pub. We've been told by a promoter lately that it reminds him of a room that was around back in the 80s when there were bands every night of the week. It's not pretty, but the sound's great and people pack in there and it's an old school pub experience right on the beach and it's a great thing for our community and for people who come and travel to shows too. They, they, people make a real weekend of it. 40 k's along the coast from Torquay, you'll find one of the longest running blues venues in Australia and one of the most unusual. It's a moving train on the Bellarine Railway. We're talking four acts and four carriages with patrons moving from carriage to carriage during a night of dinner, drinking and dancing. Yep, shake, rattle and roll. I mean, Jeepers Creepers, you know, playing on a train, you know, how fantastic. So many different things you can do. Vicar Bull has fond memories of seeing Chubby Ray in the elevators on the Blues train many years ago. Chubby Ray are a favourite of Blues train promoter Hugo T. Armstrong, a Queenscliff local who also did a long-running radio show on PBS. 
Hugo started the Blues Train in 1994, and it's become one of Victoria's most successful tourist attractions, bringing more than 200,000 people to the Bellarine. The Blues Train was temporarily derailed by COVID, but we're very pleased to report it's now back on track. Let's head further west now. About two and a half hours from Queenscliff is Warrnambool, a regional city with a rich music history. This is Archie Roach country, Gunjanmara country, and Warrnambool is the hometown of Airborne, one of the greatest Aussie rock bands of the 2000s. They've had top 10 albums throughout the world. But before they were playing for thousands of people at stadium shows in Europe, Airborne loved nothing more than rocking their hometown at the Criterion Hotel. Airborne are often compared to ACDC. Warnable loves Airborne, but they didn't always love ACDC. In 1976, Bon, Angus and Malcolm came to Warnable to play at the Palais Theatre. But when they returned the following year, the local council cancelled the show saying they feared a civil disturbance because ACDC were too obscene. Another great old Warnable venue, the Lady Bay Hotel, was a particular favourite of Vicar Bull. So what did Vicar love about the Lady Bay? Just that it was an old, dirty rock pub. That was what was so great about it. It stunk, you know, the carpet stunk a beer. But it was just a great rock pub that everyone would go to. We used to drive three hours, do the show, turn around and drive back. Yeah. All the legends of the Aussie pub rock era played at the Lady Bay, including Barnsey, The Angels, Midnight Oil and Men at Work. Back then, bands would regularly do Melbourne and Geelong and then Warnable on their way back to Adelaide. The Lady Bay could hold 1,200 people and the famous Bay bus would ferry gig-goers from the centre of town to the foreshore venue. But the bus, well... It would often break down and punters would have to get out and push. Unfortunately, the Lady Bay stopped doing live gigs in the early 2000s and the Criterion, which locals affectionately called The Cry, was demolished in 2013 after fire ripped through the building. Sadly, it hasn't been replaced. If you're planning a big night out, leave the car at home. If you can, use public transport, catch a taxi, rideshare, or organise a designated driver. Let's all get home safely and keep the band together. One, two, three, four! Later in this series, we'll look at some of the great music festivals in this region, including Port Ferry and Queenscliff. But right now, let's return to Geelong and that remarkable Foo Fighters gig. What a way to kick off Always Live. So Always Live was the brainchild of uh, the late music boss Michael Gadinsky. And it was his plan with Always Live to uh, showcase Victoria and Melbourne as an international music hub, really kind of uh, put the spotlight on uh, local acts because my, that was Michael's passion, always Australian music, but also kind of put a spotlight on international acts in you know unique spaces. This certainly fit the bill. Foo Fighters at uh, Cardinia Park, one night only, 
and it was to launch Always Live. I mean, what a way, what a bang to start with. That's the Herald Sun's Nui Takoa, who broke the news that Foo Fighters were heading to Geelong. First live concert, you know, it doesn't get bigger than the Foo Fighters and, and, and what a way to announce Always Live. What a way to kind of introduce uh, this amazing concept to the people. However, I go back to the story. I got the information. I ran it past people uh, who were, were doing the show. They weren't happy about me having that information, but cross-checked, double-checked, and we ran with the story the following day. Foo Fighters are coming to Geelong first weekend of March to play a show for this new amazing thing called Always Live. They were not happy. The band was not happy. Dave was not happy. Dave wanted to announce it, as he should, on his own terms. But, you know, uh, sometimes journalism gets in the way. It was a genuine scoop, and I... I would have had regrets if the information was wrong. That that would have really kind of taken the wind out of my sails. But it was 100% correct. Dave was annoyed. And then when Dave came to town with the band, I didn't get an interview. As they say in the newspaper business, you snooze, you lose. Nui had the story and it was a ripper. These days, bands often announce tours a year or so out. But this was a little different. Foo Fighters were playing a stadium show for more than 30,000 people and they were coming in three weeks' time. That was amazing. Look, uh, the Foo Fighters in Geelong was a great story, right? So we had been talking with Always Live about the Foo Fighters tour that was due to happen in November and as part of that and as part of Always Live, we were going to put the first big stadium show in Geelong. So it was sort of a nearly done deal to put it in as part of the November run and as part of Always Live to take something out to a, a regional city and because it's such a great stadium in Geelong to really try and, you know, put it on the map. That's Dion Brandt, the CEO of Frontier Touring, the Foo Fighters' long-time Aussie promoters. The initial idea was for the band to tour at the end of the year, but then Dave Grohl said, we're ready to rock. Dave Grohl lying in bed at five in the morning, scrolling his phone, sees a news article that Australian borders have opened, rings his manager and says, they've finally opened the borders to Australia. Let's go down there and be the first big rock show. Now, Dave was thinking, you know, they might come down to an underplay at a Palais or a Forum or something and just, you know, plant a flag as the first big international band to come to Australia two or three weeks after borders opened. But we sort of knew we had this show um, for later in the year at Geelong. But we also kind of knew that, you know, it was going to be tight with things that were changing in the market around labour and freight movements and being able to build shows and move things around. And so we were starting to get concerned about fitting it into the run that we had for later in the year. And so it sort of became one of those perfect planets align moments where you went, what if we did the Geelong show now? And then that grew into, and what if we made it the launch and the announcement of Always Live? And so, yeah, we... Three weeks, three and three and a bit weeks from first phone call to show day, we put 32,000 people into GMHBA Stadium for the first big rock show, first international band, first show in that stadium, and the launch event for Always Live. And it was, it was fabulous. It was an amazing night. It was the week of the anniversary of Michael's passing. So that uh, meant a lot to us as Frontier. It meant a lot to the band who'd known Michael for, for 20 years. And so we kind of always knew that it would mean a fair bit to us. 
Dave Grohl loved Michael Gadinsky. In fact, he sent a video message that was played at Michael's memorial service. I'm a firm believer in magic and magic people. You don't come across them too often in life, but you know when you do because they emanate this feeling, like they glow or they shine. And when you do meet one of these people, it's reassuring because it reminds you that we're not all just skin and bones. Gudinski was definitely one of these people. And he knew this every time he walked into a room because he didn't just walk into a room, he charged into the room and the room became his. Over the years, we got to spend some really wonderful times with Gadinsky, and every one of them seemed like a celebration. It could have been a backstage, it could have been a hotel lobby, it could have been a restaurant. But every experience we ever had with Gadinsky was a celebration of some kind. I always considered it a celebration of life. And that's something that, um, that will be sorely missed. Because, um, like I said, those people don't come along too often. And um, when they do, I think you have to really take time to appreciate it. Because, um, because it reminds us all how uh, how precious life is and that um, we should really live in those moments. So I'm grateful to have had some of those moments with Gudinski and uh, we all love and miss him. Um, so here's to that magic person. Foo Fighters' first tour with Michael was the In Your Honor dates in 2005, so it meant a lot for the band to do a gig for MG. And what a way to launch Always Live, which had been his dream. I think we, we kick-started nicely with that, with the Foo Fighters down in Geelong. The amount of firsts there, that was the first show to come in into the country after the borders were opened up. It was the first show for the Cadinia Park Trust of that scale, music-wise, to come come into the stadium down there. And obviously, it was a nice way to kickstart Always Live as well. That's Steve Smith, the CEO of Always Live. That really set the tone quite nicely for how we we really want to make sure we are the memorable moments festival across a broad period of time. When Steve got the Foo Fighters call from Matt Gadinsky, he thought he was talking about March next year. But then when Matt said, no, 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 I don't mean March next year, I mean in four weeks. And I was like, okay. As Steve explains, Foo Fighters in Geelong would never have happened if not for Matt and his Mushroom Frontier team. This is where the Gadinsky um, DNA really comes to play. And very soon after it was announced by government that borders were going to open, 
Matt Gadinsky was in touch with Dave Grohl from the Foo Fighters and they hatched up this plan that how could they be the first international act to land on our shores? This is the beauty of, of timing and getting the right act to fit the right venue in the right region. And I'll, you know, really take my hat off to Matt Gadinsky, but also Dion Brandt from Frontier Touring. They hatched this up to be almost perfect in its delivery, but also almost minute perfect in the timing of that wonderful show down there at GMHBA Stadium. Just the beams and smiles on people's faces was just just incredible. I remember getting emotional <laughs> um, when they came on stage. I remember, um, <laughs> I remember it rained and it was warm rain and Michael and I used to argue all the time. I would ring him from some show interstate and it'd be raining and I'd be like, mate, it's, it's raining. And he'd be like, yeah, but is it warm rain? And I'd be like, yeah, but it doesn't matter, mate. They're wet. They're not happy, right? Punters, are, they're miserable. They're wet. No, nah, no, nah, if it's warm rain, it makes it better. And we used to have this argument all the time and I'm standing there on the night and it's raining and it's warm rain and I swear the crowd is into it more than they would have been otherwise. <laughs> and I'm like, you were right again, you bastard. The rain didn't dampen anyone's spirits. Firing up the crowd were the local supports, the meanies and Amel and the sniffers. Across the sea of ponchos and, you know, rain, but people weren't put off. It was a great atmosphere, man. You know, Amel and the sniffers, because they really lifted the crowd. People didn't care. This was like this was like an event, one of the biggest rock bands in the world in a regional town. This was a celebration. It was a very special gig especially for Frontier's Dion Brandt, who grew up in Geelong. Everything went off without a hitch, even the fireworks at the end. I remember that Dave Grohl had rung, or Dave Grohl had said a week before the show that he wanted to end the show with fireworks. Um, And I remember that a week out, standing down at a theme park in the back of our lawn with my kids, that seemed easy. And then it turns out that you need seven business days to get permission to do fireworks. And so we got permission for the fireworks at about four o'clock on show day. Um, they rushed it through in five days, but that was a bit of a moment because at that stage we'd elected not to tell the Foo Fighters they weren't getting their fireworks. We'd just decided to ride the wave. But by four o'clock on show day, that was a bit of a wave that was starting to crash on us. Before the fireworks, Nui Takoa recalls an awesome and emotional rock and roll show. Foo Fighters drummer Taylor Hawkins was wearing a mushroom T-shirt and he had a picture of Michael Gidinski on his bass drum. He always kind of had his own centrepiece set. So it was usually a Freddie Mercury or Queen kind of cover, but this time they did the Bee Gees, You Should Be Dancing, so classic disco hit from Saturday Night Fever, and they did that because of the Foo Fighters' disco record. Hit all the notes, hit all the falsettos, you know, um, the Foo Fighters can really kind of funk out as well. And Taylor got to have his Freddie Mercury moment as well, doing an incredible version of Somebody to Love. I'd seen him do Somebody to Love several times. I mean, this was no different. This was great. It was another moment where the, the rain was falling and the arms were in the air and the devil horns were active and the ponchos were wet and... People were just getting into it, man. And then it came to the band's 21st and final song for the night, Everlong, which they dedicated to Michael Gadinsky. 
And I remember this, man, I was taping it and Dave goes, it's been way too long we've been doing this, way too long. You know, let's, let's fucking do this again real soon. Everyone just cheered, man. And, you know, the rain kept falling and that cool ding, 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 all through the elements and all through this celebration, this this new thing called Always Live. It was just a beautiful moment. I've got the, I, I, I taped it on my phone. It was just the perfect the perfect way to end that show. But I would like to dedicate this last song to an old friend. He's not here with us tonight. A person that always brought us over here, took care of us, made us happy. Sweet man. Made everything fun down there. Coincidentally, we managed to get down here about almost exactly a year since his passing. But we would not be the band that we are today here in Australia if it wasn't for the great, late Michael Gudinski. It was quite the intro. Steve Smith from Always Live will never forget the Foo Fighters gig. You know, we're so grateful that we were able to kickstart Always Live with the Foo Fighters and, you know, with what happened after our show in Geelong was just so tragically sad for all those involved, particularly Taylor's family, but, you know, the, the broader family of the Foo Fighters. So it makes us even more grateful that we are able to get that show happening in such a beautiful moment. I think it'll become one of those moments for Australian live music that will be right up there as one of the most memorable. Before launching into Everlong, Dave Grohl told the Geelong crowd, Thank you very much for coming out to the Rock and Roll show. We should do it more often, right? I hope you do After their Geelong triumph, Foo Fighters planned to return to Australia in November. But just three weeks after rocking Cardinia Park, drummer Taylor Hawkins died before a show in Colombia. He was 50 years old. The Australian tour was cancelled. Well, that's the thing, isn't it? So it ends up that... This show for Always Live, the show down at Cardinia Park, down the freeway from Melbourne, away from the spotlight of Melbourne and the major centres, turned out to be, you know, Taylor Hawkins's last show in Australia. But what a show, man. What a way to do it. You know, it was a one-off because you knew that they were going to rock hard. You knew that, you know, they were just going to come down here for one night and just blast. I'm so grateful to have been in that crowd. You had to be there. It was it was one of those gigs. So special. This episode is dedicated to the memory of Michael Gudinski and Taylor Hawkins. Thank you for the music. Music's not the disease, it's the cure. <laughs> Next time on Always Live, we're heading east to Gippsland and visiting a couple of venues where you can bring your own drinks. So we don't serve or sell alcohol. Uh, the venue's BYO. Um, we run a raffle and we have a barbecue. And um, the power of the community coming on board has got us where we need to be. It's a road trip to the regions. 
as we put the spotlight on some of the state's most unique venues. That's coming up next on Always Live. This episode of Always Live was written and researched by Mikey Carl, Jeff Jenkins and Luke Wallace. Audio production by Ben Oakley. Produced by Dave Carter on behalf of Media Heads. If you dug this podcast, feel free to share it, write a review and subscribe to the series on your favourite podcast app. Sharing is caring. And if you want info on some awesome live gigs coming soon to Victorian stages, follow Always Live on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter or visit the website alwayslive.com.au. I'm Alex Leahy. Catch you at the next gig. Hey guys, it's Matilda Pearl. I couldn't do what I do without my band by my side, so don't do life without your mates by yours. Take care on the roads this summer, look out for each other, and most importantly, let's keep the band together.